As some or many of you know, I've been out of commission for the last six weeks, four of which were spent in the neonatal intensive care unit at Children's Hospital, where my firstborn son Hans was being treated for a brain injury he suffered sometime before or during birth as a result of a lack of sufficient oxygen. These past weeks have been without question the hardest I've ever been dealt, but they've also been full of surprising bouts of joy and crazy transformation. The intensity of this mix is such though that coming back to a community that considers part of its MO, which I was a part of promoting, to buck the stilted conventions of our culture and pursue honest and authentic connection, even and perhaps especially when that means facing and revealing the pain and vulnerability that we all experience. The idea of coming back into that kind of community felt overwhelming to me. How could I begin to be honest about the fear, grief, anxiety, sadness, and anger I've felt? How could I come close to giving it its due? How could I do this while also offering a message of hope when I'm still struggling to have it myself? A faith when mine is being tested in a way I had no idea was possible? Of an ultimate, beneficent, personal love at the root of our being when I might wake up that morning, this morning, and see only inert clods of dirt clinging lifelessly to that root. Thankfully, this community has established itself as pretty tolerant of uncertainty and ambiguity. And for me to come up here and say these things is probably not that shocking, which on the other hand is a kind of a bummer because I like to be provocative and shocking. Uh, <laughs> but maybe more shocking to some in this community is the fact that I do actually feel a deep desire to get up here and tell you some good news, to proclaim that life can throw awful, stinky shit at you, and it's still deep down, maybe way deep down, worth showing up for. The other fear that I had was that I would have to say everything, like everything, everything, tell the whole saga, all the plot twists and turns, every shift in my and my wife Allison's emotional journey. But then I remembered something that the prophet of vulnerability, Brene Brown, some of us are into, uh, said, which is that being real and authentic doesn't necessarily mean spilling every last drop of your soul to everyone in sight, and certainly not in one dump. That's too much for the dumper and the dumpies to handle. I'm the dumper, you're the dumpies. Just, no, just kidding. <laughs> We're all dumpies. All right. Um, being real has more to do with the way we are with one another um, including being real about what we feel comfortable, safe, and ready to share with one another at any particular moment. Plus, my therapist said I didn't have to. <laughs> but I meant it when I said that this strong urge to tell you good news is real. Um, and not just the good news about my son Hans, which is that although, uh, and by the way, he's probably going to come next week, so if you need motivation to come to church to see a really cute baby. Uh, we're still getting, figuring out the transport and being in public places thing. Um, but the good news is that although what his future holds, like every child's, like every person's, is still uncertain and can be frightening for his parents, um, which I'm one to contemplate. In our case, because of what he went through, this fear has more concrete and vivid footholds and specific doctor's prognoses to cling to. But in spite of all this, Hans is doing well. He cries, eats, sleeps, poops and farts like a healthy baby. 
And he's so sweet, and he smells really good. But also, the good news that I want to proclaim is that the strange, confusing, sometimes hidden to the point of absence God that I believe can be known and experienced, whatever you call it, and known and experienced more fully in community by engaging deeply with a tradition of people who came before you, by trying to pray or meditate, by using our imaginations with, through art and beauty, and maybe sometimes most of all, with food around a table with friends, that I want to proclaim that that God is alive and well too. He or she doesn't smell so good to me right now, and I've told him that or that, but is alive and well. So um, some of you may know that between college and whatever came after <laughs> divinity school, I lived in China for a year uh, in Beijing. And it was the year leading up to the, the 2008 Olympics. While I was there, there were often murmurings among the expatriate community about the latest rumored plot by the Chinese government to control the population through secretive and nefarious means. Often this involved the internet or denying visas to journalists from certain publications or imprisoning artists or other dissidents. Some of these stories seemed more outlandish than others, like the government employing 40,000 people to censor the internet at one time. And apparently that number is 2 million now. I looked it up. But after a certain number of these crazy stories that are confirmed, you start to believe it that they're all true. So at first I was skeptical that the government was experimenting with controlling the weather around Beijing in preparation for the 2008 Summer Olympics, but it turned out to be very true. It spent vast sums of money to ensure that the usually smoggy sky was a perfect cloudless blue for the opening and closing ceremonies. I lived there during the year leading up to this, so uh, I experienced firsthand these sudden, out of no nowhere, torrential downpours, followed by this beautiful, clear sky for like a day. Um, the pollution stopped. It was very creepy, but also impressive. Um, the point is that the answer to at least some of God's questions to Job that we just heard, like, can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Or, who has the wisdom to number the clouds, or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? Answer, the answers to those questions are yes and we can. We can do those things. And uh, even put aside cloud seeding to make it rain, unless you're in climate change denial. And if you are, um, Caroline's going to have a word with you uh, <laughs> after this. Um, Caroline is our resident environmentalist theologian. Um, there's no denying that we supposedly powerless humans can master nature a lot more than this God we see in Job seems to give us credit for. But not only is God's answer unsatisfying to us capable modern people on that level, it also seems, at least at first, unsatisfying at another level, which is the level of what we tend to think of as a healthy, loving relationship between two persons. God's answer seems to be, shut up. Do you know who you're talking to? Who are you to question me? I'm the mother effing G-O-double-D. <laughs> By the way, there's this, uh, has anyone seen this show on Adult Swim? Um, I think it's called Black Jesus. Watch it, it's hilarious. And this Jesus is like a gangsta, basically. Um, it's really funny, but a really nice guy. Um, okay. 
That's, yeah. So, yes, God in this passage comes across as a gangster um, or even a pimp. The relationship he seems to be looking for is one of fearful submission, of a slave respecting her master. For a long time, it was hard for me to see what theologians, philosophers, and poets whom I admired, um, religious and non-religious, found so captivating in the story of Job. Um, it's often a book that even non-religious people are like, that's some shit. That's like, there's wisdom in Job. Since on my, on my reading, it seemed like God in this, this story was interested in um, nothing more than an abusive relationship. But let's look closer. God does seem to be flailing a bit, to be grasping for an answer to Job, an argument that will answer his please, his faithful servant, Job, who wasn't just prosperous, but generous and kind, who didn't deserve the unspeakable treatment he got, losing everything, including his seven children. He was stricken so badly with deprivation and then with these painful boils that he wished, he says, he had never been born. His answer to Job's question of why why God is not a satisfactory answer. He accuses Job of saying words without knowledge. Where's that reading? Do you have that? Can I see that reading? It says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Turns the tables. Um, so he accuses Job of saying words without understanding them. Um, but God's words don't seem to understand these problems I mentioned, that humans can control nature. We're not those weak and needy, ignorant um, worms, he seems to suggest. And anyways, love can't be co coerced through fear of someone stronger than you. So is Job a dupe? Or is Job actually maybe received the answer he was desperate for? I think Job is not a dupe. I think he got what he wanted, we take him at his words, during this, um, when he was yearning for this answer during his angry cries. He got an answer from the depths of his being, from being itself, and from beyond being, and the answer came in the form of a pissed off God who finally spoke back to him. I officiated a wedding a few months ago for my sister's best friend, and there was a reading of a poem at her wedding that I really liked. It's from a poem called I Like You. I think it's kind of a kid's poem by Sandal Stoddard Warburg. Go, and this, this little section goes, I like you because if I am mad at you, then you are mad at me too. It's awful when the other person isn't. They're so nice and hoo-hoo, you could just about punch them in the nose. Job, Job was pissed off at God, and God, rather than being distant, equanimous, aloof, placid, gets mad right back. Bro, I know life is hard and nature is cruel, but do you know how hard it was to put this thing together? And even though you, with your medical advances, your fancy psychological theories, your ideas of justice, do you think that you could have handled it better? I'd like to see you try. What first strikes us as domineering or immature, I want to suggest maybe is the response of someone who loves Job so much that Job's anger and frustration actually can get under God's skin. 
The Christian tradition sees God not as a distant, benign, abstract philosophical force, but in a God who has been through what Job went through, what we will all go through, because God is in the world, in our struggles. He's God's gone through the tailspin feeling of living in a cold, silent universe. The claim is that if we can not only admit our own weakness, our inability to control reality and make everything right, even our own mental states, even our own faith, but not just do that, but also be open and willing to welcome the approach of a God who is not all-powerful, at least in the way that we think power would look like, and who maybe seems from our point of view completely absent from what happens in our lives, from the way we think they should go. If we can be open to a God who puts love and closeness to us above some perfect, annoyingly magnanimous God role, then maybe if we do those things, we can not only hear about God, because we've all heard about God, but we might get a glimpse of God. Job says after this, I have heard about you, but now I see you with my own eyes. We can know that God is right there and we can, as a Psalm, Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. One of the places that um, my wife Allison and I tasted God recently was via the meals brought to us from some people here at Root and Branch, many people at Root and Branch. Some people brought us meals from other parts of our life, but the vast majority were from this community. And the whole thing was organized by this community. For the most part, we were too overwhelmed to see people and to have visits. Um, but your presence, whether you brought a meal or were not able to or whatever, your presence was touching us in ways that physical preference may or may not, but often does not. For that, I'm not only grateful, but now I would say I finally have a reason to believe in what we're doing here that's deeper than anything I had before. No matter how intellectually exciting or, or fun or, or interesting doing this community was for me, I have a reason for not just saying, hey, you should check out this interesting thing we're doing. It's church, but it's totally not weird, and you can believe whatever. Um, but maybe more something like, this thing we're doing, yeah, it's church. Um, it's not what you think of when you think of church, probably, or perhaps, but it still is weird. We actually do believe some strange things, like centering, organizing our communal and individual lives around a mysterious, non-coercive, radical love that we think is somehow at the heart of everything and cares about our lives personally. And we take that so seriously. Um, some people have called it worship. But the, the proof of all this weird stuff is that when I, Neil, was in the NICU with my wife and my injured son, scared out of my wits, this community helped us stay afloat. They made sure we had meals every day for four weeks. They sent us messages, emails, notes that reminded us we were not alone. I need something like that in my life. I think we all do. Amen. <laughs>